Life is a blank canvas and you paint your own story. I'm Lee Rogers and welcome to The Blank Canvas. I'm going to be chatting with the trailblazers, artists, thought leaders, athletes, the entrepreneurs and creators, incredible individuals who inspire us to live large. Hi, thanks for tuning in. This week features one of the most remarkable women I know, Marisol Nichols. She's a film and TV actress with a list of credits as long as my arm. Her breakout role was playing Chevy Chase's daughter, Audrey Griswold, in Vegas Vacation, which, can you believe, is my birthplace. But more about that later. Marisol's latest role is playing the police chief in the forthcoming movie, Spiral, starring with Chris Rock and Samuel Jackson. Her TV credits include Beverly Hills 90210, Friends, NCIS, Law and Order, CSI, Criminal Minds, Cold Case, Alias, ER, Charmed, Nip Tuck, Resurrection Boulevard, 24, starring alongside Kiefer Sutherland, and her latest role, Hermione, in the hit series Riverdale. When she's not pretending to deliver justice for dramatic purposes, she puts her acting skills to work for real by working undercover with law enforcement to catch pedophiles and fight sex trafficking. It's confronting subject matter, but Marisol's courage to tackle this insidious problem head on and the progress that's being made makes for an important and inspiring conversation. Please welcome to the blank canvas, Marisol Nichols. Marisol Nichols, good morning. Hi, good morning. Oh, that's right, it's morning. Good morning. What, what time is it there? It is five o'clock, it's dinner time. Wow. And are you yeah. in LA? I am. Cool. In Hollywood, Saturday, Saturday night. Saturday night, wow. Yeah. Well, sorry, sorry that your Saturday night is, you know, on your computer to Australia and oh, you're not out on. partying or something else. First of all, LA's on lockdown, so thank you for keeping me company. Okay, great. Yes. Yeah, we're in the yes. same boat down here in Victoria yeah. right now. Yeah, I've heard. So are you actually shooting or working right now or what's what, yeah. what are you up to? I just finished a film in Utah, so I got to escape and go to Utah for, I think I was there probably three weeks a month. And I drove, which was amazing with my daughter. That was fantastic. Um, and I've been back in LA. It's maybe been a month now. And then I leave in a week for Canada to quarantine there and to start shooting uh, season five for Riverdale. Wow. I must say I saw season one. I haven't seen the rest, but season one of Riverdale <laughs> blew me away. I watched it with my daughter, Gypsy, who you know. Oh, yes, I do. Season one was my favourite anyway, so I'm glad you watched the good one. <laughs> oh, look, it's, um, I mean, for anyone out there who hasn't seen Riverdale, it is a massive show. The fans are fanatical. I mean, it's pretty well yeah. one of the top dramas on the planet at the moment, isn't it? It's been a number mm -hmm. one show in Australia. It's been a number oh, one wow. show in, um, uh, I think, was it, what network was it on first and then it goes on to Netflix? Is that, is that how it works? It was, uh, yeah, it's on CW, CW here and then airs in Netflix worldwide. And then after the first season airs here on CW, it goes on Netflix here. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's definitely worth checking out. What, I mean, it's a, it's a teen drama. It's a little bit like Twin Peaks for teens or something, I, mm -hmm. I, I thought. Can you tell us a little bit about it and what, 
what blew me away was just the production value, the writing, the acting, just everything was just like top-notch, you know, movie class. Yeah, um, it's, it is, it has been described like Twin Peaks a bit. Because at first, it's like Twin Peaks, you know, meets Archie. There's always a murder mystery, you know, at the heart of each season. And each season, there's a new murder mystery to solve or some serial killer or some crazy, crazy thing going on. And it's based on the characters from the Archie comics. Um, Archie, Betty, Veronica, Jughead. And it's about this town in which these characters and their families sort of mingle and and have... Uh, you know, some some real good heart to hearts and some real good life experiences, including solving, you know, murders as you do. <laughs> gotcha. So tell me, you're Veronica's mum, and yes, did that character exist in the comics, or was that created? Through she the- did. She did nothing though. I right. mean, she was really, really, really small. So at first, I didn't want to even. I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do a small role. Um. And then when I went in, Roberto, the show creator, explained to me how no Hermione is like is her husband's in prison at the start of the season. She's coming back to Riddle to start her life again. She's gonna fall back in love with Luke Perry's character, Archie's dad. And and it it was a really I really liked the idea of playing a character that had made mistakes in her life but was trying to start over. And that those mistakes would then catch up with her. So I liked I liked that about the role, and and since then I've had a, a real good time playing her. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's a, it's yeah. A, a juicy character, and um, you've yeah. done a great job with it. And I mean, are you the mayor now? In are you the mayor yet? Or? I don't know. Where are you guys? I have no uh, idea what season you are. Uh, I I've been the mayor. I could tell you that. Okay, so mm-hmm. if you were the mayor, not having seen what you did there, if you were a mayor in real life, what would be the first thing that you would, um, what law would you bring in or what would you change? Um, I would probably make a better solution. Like in LA, they're homeless or everywhere. I would come up with a better solution for the homeless. There, there needs to be a better solution than just having them on the streets and living in tent cities. There needs to be a better solution. And I, I don't know what that solution would be, but I would 100% sit down with different leaders in different areas, including people that work with the homeless, and ask them, what do you think the solution is? If there's one thing that I would do as a leader, I would, I would invite other people to give me their suggestions, and based on their information, what would they do? Yeah, it sounds like a, sounds like a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. So back to Riverdale, tell me, like jumping in, you've got these iconic characters, Archie and the others. You, your sure. one, in a way, is being created somewhat from scratch. How did you prepare yeah. for that role? How did you win the role? Did you work with, with writers to, you know, flesh out the character? Did you, uh, were you inspired by characters from other, you know, film or television? What was your prep and how did you get it? Yeah, so when I auditioned, it was sort of like, well, I've never played like a real, a woman who comes from money, ever, ever. (laughs) I usually play cops and FBI agents and these are drug addicts and things like that. So this was a totally different um, sort of character for me to imbue. And, you know, I I really just auditioned the one time, um, met with Roberto at the audition, talked with him and then got offered the role. And then after I got it, then Roberto and I sort of sat down and talked about who she was and what inspired him because she was such a created character. Um, what inspired him? And so I watched a lot of a lot of different roles. I watched um, Kate Blanchett a lot. She's got a very a very 
you know, affected sometimes roles and, and I, and things like that. I watched Kate Winslet in certain roles. I watched um, older movies where women were more, more had to be more cunning to get that way. Hermione's sort of definitely a, a amalgamation of several different things. And then for me, I can't do Hermione without nails. Hermione, like, I can't, I've tried. She's, you know, everything she does is with the nails and the hair and it's a thing and it's very slower and it's very calculated and very specific movements. And, um, and she's had to, I realized, um, just to deal with Hiram and deal with that whole world. You know, she became sort of a mafiosa mom, mafiosa wife, um, and has done certain things her way. So she's, she's, Hermione always has like contradictions and at least three layers going on at once. Nice. Going into scenes, say you shoot, is it 24 eps in a season or? 22. 22. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's a lot of eps. The scripts are coming through, changes are coming through, to drafts are coming through. How are you, just on prepping for the next day, how do you learn your lines, prepare for the scenes? Do you work out your objective in each scene? Like, can I just get an insight I, into how yeah. you prepare? Sure. So always, I make sure I always know my lines. Like that's the first, first, first thing, get the lines out of the way. So then you don't have to worry about them. Um, and for a lot of times, actually my daughter rain would run lines with me <laughs> and she'd love it. Cause she'd love to be Cammy. She'd love reading Cammy cause she loves Cammy. You know, she's been on the set, obviously met everyone and stuff. And so she loved reading lines with me and it was great. Um, and then I learned not to think too much, to be honest. Um, because I never knew what was coming. So there's so many twists and turns in one season. I didn't know half of the things that were coming. So I could only play what's on the page because the next episode, there might be something completely different. I thought she hated Hiram. Next thing I know, she loves Hiram. I'm like, is she lying? I don't know. And I finally just threw it all out. I was like, forget it. I don't, I don't know. I'm just going to run roll with it. That's all I can do. Um, and so getting on set, it was just like, let me just play what's in front of me. Let me play what's on the page and whatever subtext I think is there and knowing where I've been as a character, but I don't know where she's going. And that was really, it was actually a challenge because I usually like to know where, where is this headed? This doesn't make any sense and just have to trust that it'll all sort of work out in, in the end. Wow. Well, it, it yeah. worked out. Yeah, <laughs> it's working out. It's good. How has it been? I mean, you've uh, you've been around. You've been in a, a lot of iconic shows. You've had some great highs and you've had a few mm. lows along the way. But you've been in the business for, I don't know, what, 20, 30 years, something? 20. 20? Okay, 20. Yeah. And um, <laughs> there's a lot of, you know, young people. I sound like an old person saying that on this know, show right? that are having their, you know, their first success and their first yeah. taste of fame and that kind of thing. So yeah. how has it been as a mum watching these kids go through that? It's so funny because I remember that. I remember, you know, I moved to LA and the first role I, within six months I was doing Vegas vacation, the vacation movies. And I, my face was on a billboard on Sunset Boulevard. And I remember that like insane change from like, no one knows who you are to all of a sudden, like people are pointing at you and stuff. Um, so I remember going through it myself. And then I also remember people not pointing at you. 
Yeah. And no one knows who you are and no one cares. And you have to audition again and you're not going to get it. And you have to audition and audition and audition and audition. And so through all of that experience, I've learned not to take any of it really too seriously. It's really nice when there's a high. Don't get me wrong. It's fantastic. But you also know that, you know, as soon as your show gets canceled, you're just an out of work actress again. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty humbling, you know, and they want you to audition again and they don't care who you are and blah, 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 blah. So um, through it all, I've learned to not take it so seriously. And it's really interesting to watch others go through it for the first time. And Riverdale's insane. I mean, those guys were stars overnight. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and me and Luke would sit back and be like, okay, let's just, let's just watch, <laughs> you know, sometimes Luke would be like, yeah, they'll learn, they'll learn. <laughs> um, but I love those guys and they're, they're doing great. And, you know, they've managed to keep pretty much a good head on their shoulders and stuff like that. And then I would say as a mom, it's been really interesting rain, you know, she started when we first started to really hit, she was, she was six you know, uh, seven. And so now she's 11 going on 12 and it's a different thing. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden she, she cares how many likes something gets like she didn't care at all before. And, you know, before she would, she'd like jump up and down when someone would stop us on the street to, uh, take a picture or whatever. And now she's like, can you wear a hat? I'm like, yeah, I'll wear a hat. Like, <laughs> Now it's a different it's a different thing. So it's been it's been interesting. Wow. Yeah, it was yeah. Gypsy's favorite show for a couple of years there. Like she was oh, yeah. so excited that she, mm. you know, met you and hung out with you and and Rain. It was like a big deal. She was telling everyone. It was very cute. Uh, that's very cute. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned Vegas. Let's go back to Vegas because I don't sure. know if you know, but I was born in Vegas. No, I had no idea. Really? Yeah. Wait, so you're not Australian? Well, my parents are Australian. They were there working for a couple of years. And, okay. yeah, literally, um, I mean, it's quite a story. Uh, Dad was selling slot machines or poker machines. I don't know what you call them over there. He was selling yeah, Aussie, slot Aussie slot machines to the casinos in the 60s. And it was wow. – Yeah, it was, uh, it was a wild time. I mean, you can imagine um, – Deal, dealing in that world, some of the stories. Eventually, after how a long were you there? They were there a couple of years. I was born towards the end of the time, but literally okay. towards the end of that time, like so much money was going back to Australia, it was kind of like a tap on the shoulder. Hey, hey, Rodney, I think it's time to go home. You know, no, no, really, wow. it's time to go home. You should take <laughs> your family and go home. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, fortunately, they did. But before they did, you know, um, I was born. And um, wow. in Sunshine County, Sunshine County Hospital. There you go. So, That's so cool. Yeah, That's amazing. Yeah, pretty bizarre. So um, Vegas Vacation, I saw it back yep. in the day. And, in fact, mm -hmm. Kate and I watched it again the other day because I knew Shut I was. Shut up, yeah, really? Yeah, seriously, because I knew I was going to be talking to you. Oh, my God, what a trip. And it just reminded me what – what an icon Chevy Chase was and those yeah. those movies, the National Lampoon movies, I mean, they were yeah. like, they were the kind of must-watch comedy, American comedy movie of the year. We'd look yeah. forward to the next one. So yep. how was that working with him and, you know, working on a big-budget film on Las Vegas? I, I mean, it must have been I crazy. had never been on a film before. Wow. I'd never been on a film set before. So I didn't know anything. I just kept auditioning and I'm like, they're not going to hire me. 
Wow. I'm a Latina girl. They're never going to, I mean, Audrey Griswold's like the whitest girl in America. She's like the all American girl. There's no way. So I just didn't take it seriously. I was like, okay, I'll come back again. I think I auditioned like eight times or whatever. And, um, and then when I got it, I was like, really? (laughs) And I'd never been on a film set. I didn't know. I didn't, I was learning, I was learning to be honest. Um, I was really learning. I didn't know. And Chevy was really cool. Randy Quaid at the time was really cool. You know, they kind of took me under their wing and, and taught me this is a mark. <laughs> I didn't yeah. know. And this is how you do this. And this is how, you, and I just, I didn't know for me, it was all, it was brand new. And then being in Vegas and shutting down casinos to shoot and shutting down the strip to shoot. I didn't, I was like, wow, this is pretty wild. And my biggest trip was like, Chevy Chase is playing my dad. This is crazy. It was crazy to me. Um, and then I quickly learned that it was a job, you know, and sometimes I would get off work at four in the morning. Sometimes I would start work at four in the morning. Um, I was like, oh, okay, this is a job like any other job. I would, there's still, I still have this picture of myself falling asleep in my chair yeah. on set. Yeah. I was exhausted. Mm. It was exhausting. I was like, oh, how do you, and then you're in Vegas. So I remember going home, I get home, like I said, four in the morning and you're walking through a casino and it's ding, 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 ding. And you were like, I want to shoot somebody. This is crazy. So at the end of the day, it was still like, okay, how do I do this? But I became a really, really good gambler, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Chevy taught me blackjack. Uh, Randy Quaid taught me craps because I was I was twenty three playing or twenty two playing twenty seventeen, so or fifteen sixteen. I don't remember one of those, but I was already of age, so I could be in the casino. I just looked young, so yeah, I became a really good gambler. <laughs> and did you because you were that age? Did you party? I mean, there must have been a oh, lot yeah. of attention. Like, oh, how did you keep your shit awful. together? Perdium, dude. I didn't. I was like, wait a minute. You're gonna give me money, also, in addition to paying me. You're gonna, you're gonna give me money each week, like an allowance, all cash. Are you kidding? I mean, come on. So, I'm really glad that there's no social media. (laughs) You know. Um, Yeah. So I had fun. (laughs) <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, that that'll have to be the um We're gonna leave part, it part, part two yeah. on another time. I'll extract that out of you. Okay. Good. Okay. Um that was an extraordinary way to start. Uh yeah, it must have been <laughs> pretty interesting after that. You must have gone, Wow, okay, I've made it. This is, you know, blah. And then like you said That's earlier, back to auditions. And I guess there must have been look, there must have been a lot of challenges that came with that afterwards. What were some of the challenges and barriers aside from yeah having to audition um for other things not just automatically get the roles what were some of the mistakes you made and some of the barriers you hit that you kind of had to learn the hard way that you wish you knew that you know now yeah (laughs) i wish i knew back then to save my money because you know you're brand new they're gonna pay you a lot of money what you what you use seems like oh my god enormous amount of money and i just spent it i didn't know I didn't understand that this has to last me till the next big bang gig. And then I thought, you know, oh, well, you know, I've made it. This is just going to keep going. That was sort of the danger in being successful really fast. Yeah. You haven't learned the lesson yet. You haven't figured it out yet. 
So I thought, you know, I'm just going to make this, this money all the time. It's just going to get more. And I remember my agent going, well, this is your first movie. So this is all they're going to pay you. And I was like, that's a fortune to me. Yeah. You know, I was used to waiting tables and doing every job under the sun, you know, just adding up how many hours I worked to see what my paycheck would be to see if I could pay my rent. So I learned the hard way. Oh, oh, there's dry spells. Oh, you have to save your money, you know? And that was one thing I wish I would have known what I know now, as far as like, you learn how to spend, you learn how to, you know, these are big things and people think you make a lot of money, but it's got to last. Who knows when your next gig's going to come? Yeah. So I would for sure, I would for sure say that would have been something I wish I would have known, you know? And then, you know, the heartache of not getting the next job and not getting the next job and not getting the next job. And I took it so seriously. I didn't know. Don't worry about it. There's going to be another one that you're going to fall in love with right around the corner. Everything was so serious, you know, that's the one I should have been that that's the one. And then, so it would really, it would break my heart. And I remember going, I don't know how to do this. How do I keep doing this and keep getting rejected and keep going? And over the years I've learned, it's okay. Let's have fun. Let's not forget why you wanted to do this in the first place. It was fun. And when I learned not to take the game so seriously is when I started working working again and doing well and, and enjoying it, you know? Gotcha. That kind of thing. That yeah. makes sense. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> okay, cool. How have you dealt with it? I mean, you've been a director for a very long time and you know there's the gigs that you really, really want and the gigs that fall through the cracks and you don't know when you're going to work again, I'm assuming. Tell yeah. me. Yeah. I'm very, very similar to what you said about the money as well. When I first, um, I had a music video, I'd done a bunch of music videos and an advertising agency spotted one of them and called me up and offered me a big budget, like, you know, a half a million budget virtually for my wow. first major commercial three day shoot shot on 35 mil film it was like a big deal and they paid me a lot of money and I was like, wow, this is awesome. It went really well and they gave me three of them back to back, three different major clients, a car, a beauty and, wow. a, and a beverage. And I was like, holy cow. And right. as you mentioned, I was just, I did the same thing. I just spent it, surfboards, um, trips to <laughs> Indonesia. I bought a um, big four wheel drive. I mean, just you know stupid kid stuff stupid and then Mm -hmm. um and then of course it doesn't last and then i wasn't having my you know moment of discovery and 15 minutes of fame um suddenly i then had to start bidding on the jobs and writing treatments and then you know yeah you'd pour a lot of time and money into it didn't get the job you wouldn't get any money and i did that and then suddenly i'm like wow okay I could go months without getting a job or an income. So when I get that money, I need to make it last. So, so there was that and, and kind of similar thing. I just, as time went on, I realized don't take it personally because there's so many balls in play. There's so many um, stakeholders that are making decisions as to who the director is going to be. So you just, yeah, you can't take it personally. You just go, okay, there's going to be something better around the, around the block and um yeah so that's yeah that's how i did it but it's still the same it's still happening i mean right it's actually still. even got harder over the years because back then 
in the film days, it was so hard to break in. There was so few directors. If you broke in, there was a lot of work. Whereas since the digital revolution and everyone having digital cameras and, um, you know, phones and what have you, everyone's a director now, everyone's an actor, everyone's a producer. So there's so much competition, everyone Everyone undercutting Mm -hmm. each other. So you actually have to bid the ratio of bidding to winning jobs now as a director is just off the chart compared to where it was. So yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah. So we covered Vegas and that incredible first film. Let's go back to where you start. Like, I think you were born in Chicago. I know you were raised in Chicago. Tell me a bit Mm -hmm. about where you came from and how you found yourself in the acting caper and that kind of thing. Uh, Yeah, I was born and raised in Chicago. I uh, was not into acting at all. Uh, I was into music, hardcore, hardcore. Um, Dated a lot of band guys. (laughs) Trouble. Trouble. I was a trouble maker and a magnet for trouble, hugely. Um, I think they both kind of go hand in hand. Um, and I was honestly just trying to figure it all out, really trying to figure it all out. I, you know, I got into drugs at a very, very young age, like 11 years old kind of thing, and went down a path that I'm amazed that I'm here kind of thing. Like the stupidest things that I did, just, you know, 14 years old walking up to like full on adults, women and men just being like, Hey, do you have anything? Do you have anything? And going out in the middle of the woods and just getting high and taking whatever I did most drugs on accident. I remember doing PCP by accident. I didn't know what it was. I was like, all right, I'll do whatever. Stupid, stupid. Um, and then I was dating this one sort of punk rock. I mean, majorly punk rock dude. And I'd been with him for about three years um, one of the greatest guys, to be honest, he was actually a really great boyfriend. He was a really good boyfriend. Um, and, uh, but we, we, I was like, I was getting older now. I was approaching like 18, getting older now. And, um, and I started looking around and I was like, if I don't change my life, I'm, I'm gonna, this is it for me. You know, I'll be punk rock dude's wife. I, will be struggling with drugs and doing stupid shit. And I just kind of knew it was one of those things. And I, I broke up with him and it was hard because I lost all my friends, you know, cause it was this big group, you know, and I auditioned for a play with one of the punk rock girls that stay friends with me and didn't think anything of it. And she was going to go look and see if we got a, you know, got it or not. She called me, she's like, now nah, we didn't get it. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. I don't care. Whatever. And then I got a call from the director going, why don't you show up? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you were top of the list of the callbacks. And I was like, what's a callback? I didn't know. <laughs> and then I, I ended up, you know, showing up and getting the role and it was a lead role. And I was like, really? And then I ended up, you know, they asked me to, to join their their sort of competition speech and theater team. And I was like, all right. And then I did that. And then I won like the national championship for the United States in like a matter of months. And I was like, what? Wow. And for me, it was like, that was my chance. This was one thing that I could do that, that I could hang on to. And so I went in full force and I was like, what else do I need to do? And I'll try out and I'll do this and I'll throw a rock and I'll, and to this day, like, 
you know, people that took acting classes and theater classes, like they know all of these references and movies and like pieces of arts of theater. You know, I never knew any of those. I still don't know half of them. I don't know because I didn't study it. It was instinctual. It was just the thing that I had been told my whole life, you know, oh, you're so dramatic. You're so dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) And then all of a sudden I was like, yeah, I'm so dramatic. And the really cool thing was that I was able to use, you know, these life experiences that happened to me. I could draw on them and I knew what it was like to be in certain scenarios that, that most people didn't, for lack of a better word. So I didn't have to pretend I could just really kind of relive it, redo it. And it was save my life, you know? Wow. That's Chicago. And then eventually I got a job that moved me to LA. So I moved to LA. Wow. Cool. Yeah. That's amazing. How is it working when you, um, not having been, I guess, traditionally trained, um, as an actor, when you're working with those kind of actors who have taken that route, I guess some of them use it and are intimidating and, you know, try and nullify others with their, their grand, With their uh, knowledge just, of everything. Yeah. How, how have yeah. you, I'm sure, you know, you've had a few challenges along the way. How have you held your space when coming up against those kind of heavy hitters and um, people? Yeah. I mean, it was funny because one of the things was like, oh, you're not in a class. Like this just fell on you. Like I'm bad or somehow for that, you know? So I remember getting into a class and it was like all these references of blah, 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 blah. And all these people that seemed to know more than I did. And I was in that class for like two years. It was a big one. And then I remember looking around and realizing I wasn't working anymore. I wasn't actually working. I was spending so much time thinking and figuring out my my moment before and my this and my that and blah, 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 that it stopped being fun. And it became a job and it became work. And it and and I was getting critiqued of how I wasn't good enough or this wasn't good enough or I didn't dig deep enough or I didn't do this. And it, I found it, it hurt me more than it helped me. This is my personal, personal thing. You know, other people, it helped them. For me, it didn't. And getting that away and just kind of finding things on my own helped. And I learned the most from being on a set. And, and like I did the series called uh, Resurrection Boulevard that I did for three years. And I was playing the rebellious teenager. So it's not really a challenge, right, for me <laughs> at that time. Um, I knew this. So I, 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 I somehow knew what to do in these scenes because I had already lived it. I had been through a lot. You know, I've talked about this in an interview before. But, you know, I, when you do drugs, you put yourself in really bad situations. And so at 11 years old, I, I was taken advantage of at a party and passed out and found out that these five guys had done stuff to my body and I had no clue about. And wow. I, yeah, it was rough. And, and I had to figure out how to now navigate this because the whole damn town knew about it. And it was rough. It was rough. And so, I, like I said before, I had these experiences that I could automatically instinctually know how the hell I reacted in them. And I knew what to do then if it was in a script. And back to what you were talking about with Resurrection Boulevard, it was a learning ground for me. You know, I was with these seasoned actors around me and I was learning how to do something maybe three, four, five times, how to save the emotion for when the camera comes in on you. I didn't know that. I didn't know. 
So there were tricks and turns and things that I was like, oh, oh, oh. And I, I learned by experience. And for me, that's been the best thing is just dive in. Just dive in head first and I'll figure it out. Um, yeah, go gotcha. ahead. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all that. That's pretty intense. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've known you for a while and I know a little yeah. bit of that. I don't I don't know all sure. of that. And um, clearly that event at 11 set yeah. certain things Everything. in motion and that um, – Obviously, that could lead us to all kinds of questions now. Just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't that, – didn't, no, that's, that's okay. my life, so I'm used to it. It's no. kind of like, well, that's just what happened. No, 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 um, I, I got you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back yeah. to that one, but just sure. on that um, – on just on the acting factor and because sure. when I look at your – like your credits are just off the chart. Like literally you've guest starred on probably, the you know, 20 of the top – iconic shows over the last 20 years. I'm just going to read yes. a few off because sure. I know you know them, but people listening probably don't know <laughs> most of these. Cold Case, 24, Blind Justice, Criminal Minds, CSI, Law and Order, Charmed, Nip Tuck, ER, Beverly Hills 90210, and the list Friends. goes on. Friends. Oh, my God, I didn't, didn't hear that. Friends, yeah. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of out of control. Some so. of those were some of those were series regulars, by the way. They weren't all guest stars. Got, gotcha. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, an incredible body of work, but it's really yes. impressive because particularly, I know, when you're a, uh, a guest star coming on a show and there's the regulars there and, you know, a lot of them are heavyweight actors and, yeah. you know, they're, they're doing it day in, day out. They're in the zone and it's very, at times, very intimidating for a guest star to come in, find their yeah. feet. And, you know, some of those heavyweights are very accommodating, but a lot of them aren't. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, so I think it's, uh, you know, testament to you um, for continuing to deliver great performances and hold your space in those scenarios. You. And clearly you got a rep for doing that and the work kept coming. Mm. So um, well done to you. Thank you. <laughs> cool. So let's um, – <laughs> I mean, I've got – we could talk for hours. There's so many things I'd love to oh. ask you. I'm going to – while we're just talking at TV shows, um, 24, loved it, and I know you were yes. um, Nadia Nassar or something. Is that the – Yes, sir. Y- yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, good. And yeah. Um, so you, you're Pakistani? Yeah. She was – it was really interesting because when I auditioned for her, her name was Kathy. She wasn't ethnic at all. Um, and I auditioned and it was the fourth, I'll tell you a fun story. I didn't think they were going to hire me because I had auditioned for 24, like four times and every time they never hired me. And so this time I was like, I don't want to go in. They never hired me. And my manager's like, you're going in. And I'm like, fine. (laughs) Um, but I didn't know that they actually wanted to hire me the whole time and they were just waiting for the right role. So that was something that was really cool. Um, and so, yeah, so getting that role, I got it. And I remember Howard Gordon calling me up. He's the uh, showrunner creator, calling me up and saying, hey, would you, how would you feel if we made her Pakistani? And I was like, I think that's great. Um, I don't have a Pakistani accent. I think it was Pakistan or Arabic or something like that. Yeah. Um, and he's like, that's fine, but we're going we're gonna to have you speak some. And I was like, that's fantastic. Um, and I, I loved playing that role. It was a really fun role. Plus, it was key for Sutherland. I was like, oh. 
Yeah. yeah, that was, I mean, that was a groundbreaking yeah. show. I loved that yeah. series. He was amazing. Yeah. Um, he was so it. great. He was so nice to me. He was fantastic. Oh, I love Kiefer. That's lovely to hear. Yeah. Was Rodney yeah. Charters still um, DP yes. and director? Yeah. Yes, he yeah, was. We know Rodney. Yes. He's a lovely guy yes. too. Such a great guy. Such a good guy. Yeah, and what a job, really, visually, particularly when yeah. that's, uh, you know, when the f- at first started, the first season, the first couple of seasons, visually, technically, oh, my yeah. God, it just had a visceral thrill to it, didn't it, yeah. that was yeah. really groundbreaking. Yeah, it was amazing. It was – and I when I was joining, it was, like, right after they won the Golden Globe for right. Best Drama. So it was just like, holy crap, wow, okay. Um, but I loved that the first very first scene of me out um, I'm wa- running through CTU and I grab the phone and I start talking in, in Arabic. And I loved that because it just kind of established, oh, wow, we're into something totally different here. An Arabic person is speaking Arabic in CTU and she's part of it. And it was really, really cool. And for those of you that don't know, CTU stood for the counterterrorism unit. Right. Um, but I loved being a part of that show. Great people. Amaz- I still stay in touch with a lot of them. Amazing people. Yeah, cool. So certainly looking at your credits and doing some research for today, it's pretty clear you've played a lot of cops, a lot of FBI agents. Um, I know you and I know you're a badass, but clearly <laughs> clearly the casting directors and uh, directors <laughs> and everyone else knows, so knows too. So, um, look, you do a fine job of it. It's probably um, to string the uh, dots together, what happened when you were at 11 probably sent you on this sort of um, path of justice, of seeking justice and um, all the rest of it. Um, Tell me how that came about and how that led to your non-profit organisation, which I think has been going for about eight years and Mm. you do fine work and it's very gutsy what you do. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So, you know, that thing at 11, you you can go one of two ways. (laughs) You can go the great way or you can go the bad way. And I went the bad way for a very, very long time. And then, you know, when I sort of turned my life around and, and on the other side, I, I took a look and I wanted to, when I started first learning about child sex trafficking, I was horrified, horrified. I was like, you've got to be kidding me that this occurs and this occurs in a huge way. And at the time, I'm like, no one knows about this. No one knows about it. No one was talking about it. No one was, I think they had like one or two episodes of SVU that they would touch on it. Thank you for that. But it was this new thing. And I took a look at what these, you know, experiencing what I experienced at 11 and the amount of times I put myself in a position that was ridiculous um, of running away and, and, you know, trying to sleep outside and like sleeping on the streets of Chicago and like just stupid stuff. If that were me today as that kid, I'd be trafficked. I'd be gone. I'd be picked up by some trafficker and I would be sold to men 20 times a day. And that would have been my life because I was, I was naive and came from not the best environment and didn't know how to handle anything. And so I'm like, the only reason I got away with it was because that didn't happen back then. These girls, you know, that this is happening to come from these similar situations. 
a hundred percent. It's horrible and horrific. And so, you know, I formed my nonprofit because I was going down the rabbit hole. I wanted to know more. I was meeting with organizations that were trying to tackle this from whether they were trying to rehabilitate the girls, whether they were working on um, laws and law enforcement, um, other organizations were educating the media about it to not put the wrong messages out there. Um, all these different angles, education, all of these things. And it was clear to me that this was a huge issue and it couldn't be tackled from just one side. And it takes more than just a spokesperson to do something about it. And I'll enlighten you on that. You know, when I was coming up the ranks, you know, we get invited to red carpets. So I get invited to, you know, Joe Schmo's red carpet and InStyle magazine is going to be covering it and all of these different magazines and press outlets. And it's going to benefit, let's say, water in Kenya. Let's just say. Yeah. And so on my way there, I get a cheat sheet from my publicist so that I know what I'm talking about on the red carpet. And let's say I'm making these numbers up. 65,000 children and families in Kenya go without water every day. And there's like all these statistics and I memorize it and I'm like, okay, 65,000 families go without water in Kenya every day. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Then I walk the red carpet and you know, the international associated press or someone puts a microphone in my face and I go 65,000 families are without water. Da, 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 da. And it looks like I'm so down with this cause. And really I just got a cheat sheet. That's all. I don't know a thing about it. Yeah. And nonprofits know this because they know that they can use celebrities because the press will show up and you can use a celebrity and they'll, they'll give a voice to your cause, which is wonderful. But I wasn't doing that. I was literally like I met with the executive branch of the White House under Obama. I was meeting with DAA agents and Homeland Security and learning about their blue campaign and really meeting with the state department and going and going and going until I started being thrown into these scenarios where I could actually do something and go undercover. And so I formed my nonprofit. So I wouldn't just be, I, I didn't want to just be a spokesperson and it opened up more doors and more doors and more doors and more doors. And, you know, this was when I didn't have a job. I wasn't on a hit show. It was just something I had to do because I couldn't, I couldn't sleep, for lack of a better word. I couldn't sleep with this going on and knowing what was going on and then seeing it everywhere. Because once your eyes are sort of open to how it happens, you can't stop seeing it everywhere you go. And you're like, this is everywhere. Wow. And it was horrible. So that's kind of how I jumped in. Wow. Basically. Hats off to you. Um, Thanks. Honestly, I had no idea the to the extent of the problem until I started right. researching for this a few days ago. Even though I right? knew essentially what you were doing, um, I mean, it, it's it's horrifying. Yeah, um, it um, is. And the good news, though, is it's now like you hear people talking about it. Yeah, the news is covering it. Media is covering it. There's documentaries. Yeah. This was not the case yeah. eight years ago. Yeah. And so the real, you know, it's like the, it's happening. It's, it's happening. It's, it's incredible. So yeah. tell me, I mean, specifically uh, as part of the work you've been doing, you've been working as an undercover agent or FBI agent. 
And, okay, so and- let's let's let me just clarify. So I don't work for any government. Okay, I am not. I've been sworn in as a uh, legal informant, and I work with law enforcement, and I work with current law enforcement, and I work with former law enforcement, and former CIA operatives, former Navy SEALs, former Green Berets. Uh, I've worked with former Homeland Security operatives and current sheriff uh, sheriff departments, but I'm not a sworn operative. Gotcha. And are you yeah. like, do you get paid, or are you donating your time? No. <laughs> okay. So you're <laughs> no, not working. Yeah, you're not working for. <laughs> no. God, no. No. Okay. I've never wow. paid a dime for any of this. Are you kidding? No. And I don't want to be. Wow. So I. Yeah. It would feel like disgusting to get paid for that. Yeah. Right. Mm. And. I mean, literally, you act as bait for sting operations to trap some of these guys, don't you? Yeah, 100%. Wow. Yeah. Can you take us through, if you can talk about it, an example of such an operation? Yeah, so um, I'm trying to figure out how. Well, some of these, these cases are already closed, so I can talk about it. But one of the, you know, one of them is putting a, uh, an ad. I think at the time we used Craigslist and um, putting an ad saying, you know, I'm in town for, you know, mom and dad in town, three days only, nine-year-old, 12-year-old girls. We need someone to educate our kid while we watch. Disgusting. And I remember um, turning to the, the guy that I work with going, while we watch? I mean, isn't that like crazy? And he's like, the more crazy... And the more degraded you make it, the more you, the more these people answer. He's like, they're looking for the most degraded, crazy stuff. And wow. I'm like, okay, all right. And so what would happen is we'd get all these appointments, basically, of men wanting to have sex with a nine-year-old and 12-year-old and emailing and, you know, I'm with the vice squad. So the vice squad's on the other end of the emails answering the questions and pretending to be me and, and my partner. And then, um, you know, getting made up with makeup to look like a mess addict. Now, I know how to act as a drug addict, so it's pretty easy. Um, but, but, you know, changing my hair and changing my skin and changing my eyes so I don't look like me anymore, you know. Um, and then holding up in a hotel room and pouring beer all over the curtains and alcohol everywhere. And like as if this is what we've been doing for the last week, you know. Um, and then basically... Um, and what happened is some of these guys would just make the appointment and show up. And when they would show up, we'd get them into the room. We have hidden cameras and hidden recording equipment everywhere. And now I'm playing the drugged out mom. And we're just asking questions and getting them to say what they want to do to the girls or the girl on camera. So you have enough evidence so you can, you know, make sure they understand, like, this is a nine-year-old girl. Right. And we, yeah, yeah, I understand. It's great. Great. Can I do, a, you know, can I do, I don't want to say too many things. It's going to disgust the, you. Got the, got the picture. Yeah. But yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then the ones that don't show, the ones that won't just show up, uh, they're like, well, give me proof. I need proof. How do I know there's a kid there? And then I get on the phone and I, I talk like a little girl who has been put in this position for years and years and years and um, talks to the guy to prove that there's a little girl there. And then they, these are, these are the guys that have been doing this a long time and they, they absolutely show up. They run. They run and scramble to show up. And then we take them down. Take them off the streets. Holy shit. Wow. Thanks for the work you're doing. 
Yeah. Intense. My pleasure. So you mentioned when you were younger, the problem wasn't as bad as it is now. So mm. what's changed? Is it access to porn or what, what do you think? Uh, I think it's 100% uh, the degradation of society and the 100% birth of the internet that gives you access to pornography 24 hours a day and the dark web mm. where there's all of this stuff filmed and mm. put on display for anyone to watch. Yeah. And you've, you've got a recipe for that. Mm. It's a trafficking is a supply and demand industry, period. There would be no supply if we could get rid of the demand. Yeah. So how do you keep up the demand? We'll keep putting it out there. Yeah. Yeah. Keep putting it out there. Right. Yeah. I know from, from my own um, experience, I remember might be sharing too much, but I remember when I got married, like I had this, you know, I had the, the pornos, the VHS tapes. I had the porno collection. It wasn't huge. I might add, but you know, in the cupboard and I met Kate who I, went on to marry and I remember, yeah. okay, I'm married now and I'm like, okay, yeah, I probably, you know, it's when I watch those, I kind of get a bit stirred up and I start looking at other girls and you know what I mean? I'm not as happy yeah. with my with my partner. I remember yeah. making um, a decision going, you know what, they've got to go. I've got, yeah. to, I've got to throw these out. And I remember literally taking them to the garbage and ripping them apart and putting them in and going, this is what I've got to do. And... I've been married, I've been together with Kate nearly 30 years and I honestly, I haven't watched pornography since. I just went, that's it. It's not, it's not good for my mind. It's not good for my relationship. And now- You're a good manly. There's an organization that I work with called, called uh, Fight the New Drug and they're amazing. Mm. And they have all these statistics on how pornography um, not only wrecks your marriage, wrecks relationships, changes the way that you view uh, women, but how it also glorifies rape and it glorifies brutalization and it glorifies violence against women and it glorifies all through all these things. And it's, it's more insidious than people think. And they have numerous, numerous followers that go on there and, and like, thank you for educating me. So I, I quit this. It's been like a drug and they even have studies on how it affects the brain and all of those things. Mm. Um, so it's bigger than bigger and more important than people think. As I was telling you that, that the picture came to mind, I just sort of ran through the pictures since that time um, as I was telling you that, and I got the picture of being a dad and to my daughter who's now 16, and it just all went, you know, boom. Yeah, I mean, it just puts a whole different spin on it, being a father, yeah, um, particularly of a 16-year-old girl who's going through the stuff that a girl at that age goes through. And um, there you go. Anyway, so tell me about your nonprofit foundation for a slavery-free world. How do people help and where do they go? Um, okay, so it's called Foundation for a Slavery-Free World. It's slavery, slaveryfreeworld.net. Um, and uh, you should also have people go to fight the new drug. Um, you should also have people go to operationundergroundrailroad.com. These are amazing uh, organizations, and I do a lot of work with OUR. They're actually the guys who, who trained me to go undercover. That's who I partner with. Um, how do people help? Educate yourself, first of all. Yeah. But know this, that 
as much as this is such a prolific thing, look outside and you see kids running free and you see kids at parks and you see families doing well. So just know that even though this is happening in a large way, there's still so many more places where, where it's not, Yeah. you know, um, because I, once you go down the hole, you can get stuck there Yeah. and you don't want to get stuck there. You know, um, as a mom, I, I had to, I have to separate the two, you know? Yeah, it must be. Yeah, it must be a challenge after you know going away from one of those operations, and then it is. I say going and working with 100%. other men, and can you trust them, and all the all the rest yeah. of that. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then look, there's because it's so prolific. If anyone wants to help, throw a rock. Go to Google. Look at your local trafficking organization that's locally in your town. Yeah, and find out what you can do to help. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. So let's. Sorry, let, that's it's very okay. serious. I know. No, no, no. It's uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's it is. It's hard to confront. It really is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm glad there's people like you doing what they're doing, and it is. I must say, it's kind of we watched the Epstein or not all of it. We watched some of that Epstein doco the other day. I mean, it's really, really a major story right now, isn't it? So, yeah, um, I'm so glad. I'm sure you're getting a lot more support for the work you're doing than you were. Actually, one question, yeah. I don't want to get political, but I'm just curious, is the support you're getting now with this administration different to what you were getting when you first started? Or has it just been on a, on a sort of, you know, a gradient ramping up since it- then? Yeah, I don't know if it has anything to do with this administration or just time going through. Um, uh, you know, the Obama administration did some did some cool stuff, some really good things when it came to trafficking. And I do have to give, you know, Barack Obama, he, he was the first one to kind of bring this out. He made it like, okay, this is National Human Trafficking, period, Awareness Day. And we've got great quotes that I use from him at all my events. And he was the first president uh, to make child pornography a felony. It was not a felony before he came to office and he signed it into law and did that. Um, President Trump, he shut down backpage.com. So the one thing that I've noticed on this issue is it covers both sides of the aisle. Doesn't matter. Who cares? Okay. That's right. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah, that's good. We're talking hear. about kids and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Cool. So tell me right now, <laughs> what's next? What are you working on? I did hear you've got a movie coming up with Chris Rock and um, Samuel Sam Jackson. Jackson. Have you shot mm-hmm. that? Yeah, we shot that already. It was okay. supposed to come out March uh, in theaters everywhere and then COVID hit. So great. 2021, it'll come out. It's called Spiral. I play the captain of the police. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I play that. Um, uh, you know, it's fun. It was a role I liked. Chris Rock was hilarious and really fun to work with. And Sam Jackson's a freaking icon. Yeah. So that was um, that was amazing. And, and I had a great time doing that. We did that last summer. And then um, I have a deal with Sony now where um, I'm developing and executive producing my own TV show that'll be based on my life and my work um, on human trafficking. So that'll be that we're in the very beginning stages of developing that, but yeah. Cool. I know it's taken us about an hour to get oh. to that, but that's the most, that's then, like, but that's, wait. Big, that's big news. It is. It's huge. It's huge <laughs> news. Yeah. But like, 
Um, I also have a little movie coming out, like the Hallmark Channel of all things, that I shot in Utah last month. Oh, the name of it was like Holly and Ivy. But this is why I was so happy about doing it. It's the first thing my kid can watch me in. <laughs> she doesn't see me in anything because she was like really kind of young when when Riverdale came out. And the first scene is Archie having sex with his teacher. So I'm like, you're not watching that. <laughs> and then, you know, these other things like she she didn't like violence and she's young. And so finally I was like, you can watch this, kiddo. You can watch this one. So I'm happy. <laughs> Wow, that's great. So, yeah. Um, yeah, huge news on your show. So, Thank you. Um, yeah, super exciting. It's a dream. Yeah. yeah. Well done. Tell me, you. okay, you're going to be able to put the team together and, you know, you'll be collaborating with others, <laughs> but you can choose some of the key collaborators. Um, yeah. You've never had your own show that you've initiated before. You'll be a, an EP on it. Yeah. decide directors, decide talent, or be very much a part of that decision-making yeah. process. Um, 100%. What, what are a couple of things that you're looking forward to doing that you've never been able to do? <laughs> <laughs> so much. <laughs> um, no, it was, it was, I've been in a lot of, you know, I've been in eight or nine series regular jobs on TV shows. And out of all of those, only two went past one season. Okay. So what that means is I've had a lot of like one hit wonders, right? But being on these, I actually learned because as an actor, you can't control any of that. But here's what I would watch. I'd get on a show. I would love it. And then I'd watch them change what was so special about the show in the first place. And I'm like, you can't, don't do that. Yeah. You just ruined the whole reason that the pilot even got picked up to series was because it had these elements in it. And then we'd go to series and they'd change it. And I'm like, what are you doing? And I've watched that happen so many times. And it was so, I would even know after like, I remember this one show I was on third episode. I'm like, well, we'll get canceled. We're done. I would just know because I'd see them change it. And so one of the things that I'm, I'm so happy to be in the driver's seat is to be able to hold the things down that work. You hold the things down that work. Get rid of the things that don't work. It's very simple. Don't, oh, now that I have a show, I'm going to try this, try that, try this, try that. Like, don't, don't do that, you know? Makes a lot of yeah. sense. Yeah. So I'm really, I'm looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to not having any bad eggs on the set. You know, being able to be in a position where I can get rid of the one bad egg that's making ruining it for everybody. I can do something about that. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and also validate the people that are working so hard to make this go right, because sometimes you don't always see that, yeah. you know. Um, so I'm I'm excited about it. And I'm excited about about more than anything. Bringing awareness to this subject in a gentle way yeah. so that the main public can understand it and demand a change um, because it can be done in a very wrong way where it's too much at once. And it's a, such a hard subject. You, you can't overwhelm people because they don't want to, they don't want to see this. It's horrible. Yeah. Why would anyone want to see this? Yeah. So it's doing it in such a small, gentle gradient that hopefully people will want to learn more. People will want to tune in more and demand that this is an end. And this just becomes something we read about the history books. Wow, so, that's a great goal. So, yeah, thanks. 
Cool. On a director's front, I'm not fishing for a job, but I'm just curious. Oh, I- <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious. Give me, give me a, a pet hate with directors when you go onto a series TV gig or even a you know film gig, and and something that the that they win you over with when working with new directors on jobs. Oh gosh, um, a director that can speak to actors, a eh? like directors that can actually direct an actor very simply, simply. Because most of the time, the actor already has it. It's already right there. And there's one little tweak that can bring that performance from something pretty good, really good, to like, oh, next level. Yeah. And there's an art form to that because actors are very sensitive. Actors are very, they want to know that they, they hit what you needed. You know, and so every time, I mean, if, if anyone's ever been on a set, you'll watch cut and the actor looks right to the director. For that, did I get it? Um, so that would be one of the first things. And secondly, they better know what they better know their shots. Yeah. Don't figure it out while we're there. We don't have time. This is a TV show. You know, we usually have like you know a seventeen-hour day. Let's go, and we have five more of those. Five more of those this week. So know your shots. No, be prepared. And that's easy. Those two things. You know, right. it makes for the smoothest experience. Yeah. The smoothest experience, and then be kind. We've had directors come in on Riverdale that were not nice to the crew. And it's like, hey, they, we're family. You're the you're the new one on the block. You know, you be nice. So manners, just manners. Yeah. So those type of things. And it goes without saying that they're talented. Yeah, yeah. It goes without saying. That makes yeah. sense. It's it's really as a director, I see my job as exactly that. It's just simplifying things. Every single opportunity, it's how could this be simplified? The more mm-hmm. complicated you get with it, with your whole approach, particularly on series TV, yeah. the, the harder it gets. And so yeah. that makes total You'll sense. You'll kill the art form. You'll kill the art form Yeah, with just adding too much and being serious. And yeah, no. So that. Sounds good. Thanks for the tips. Yeah. I'll keep those in mind. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. Okay. Well, I better let you... Back to, you know, finishing lunch. Din- oh, it's probably dinner, food, isn't it? Yeah, yeah finished dinner. Yeah. Thank you so much. So lovely to see you. Oh, it's so good to see you, Lee. So good. Please tell Gypsy I said hi. Okay, I totally okay. will. All right, say, send you. our love to Rain. I will, for okay. sure. Okay, have a great night. Have fun in Canada. And, um, I will. I look forward to season five. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. See you later. Okay. See ya. Bye. Wow. Well, I'm not even going to try and sum up that conversation other than to say, Marisol Nichols, you are a true hero. If you would like to find out more about Marisol's non-profit organisation, go to slaveryfreeworld.org. You can make a donation or help the cause in many other ways. Other organisations she recommends that are worthy of support are ourrescue.org, and fightthenewdrug.org. These links are both in the show notes. Next week's episode features another remarkable woman, seven times world champion surfer, Lane Beachley. Until then, live large. The Blank Canvas is produced by Lee Rogers and me, Rin MacDonald, with audio support by Jason Murphy at Gas Inc. and music by Rodrigo Bustos. This has been a Millevich production.